0: Well, I will bless the Lord at all times, his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord, the humble shall hear thereof and be glad. O oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. For The Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting. He's not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. But as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love toward those who fear him. Matter of fact, as far as the east is from the west... So far has he removed our transgressions from us, so oh give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Let me rush quickly to thank whoever is responsible for getting me here uh, today, not least of which uh, Miss uh, Kayla Oshevsky, who arranged all the arrangements, who did all the doing um, who fixed it so that I could get here, and I'm happy to see some familiar faces and looking forward to making some new friends. I'm going to see if I can't continue. And let me thank the the music ministry, the uh, singers and the musicians. (laughs) Amen. Thank you so much uh, for starting out with some songs where you can clap on two and four. I appreciate that very much. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for making me feel at home, and uh, the selection was great. I'm impressed with these rose gold mics, and you were singing very well in them. Musicians were excellent. Thank you so much for that. I'm gonna be with you all day, gonna be talking from three different texts. And my concern today as we deal with justice and mercy are the gaps, so in this first uh, session as we look at Psalm 89, I invite you to turn to Psalm 89 in your Bible, open up your Bible app and keep it there, we'll deal with a longitudinal gap. The next talk from Psalm 99, we'll deal with what I think of as a moral or existential gap. And then from Psalm 146, we'll deal with, for lack of a better word, a a privilege gap, societal gap. I solicit your two things from you. I solicit your prayers because I have too much to say, so I'm asking God, matter of fact, thank you, Holy Spirit, for reminding me. Let me keep my phone out so that I can make sure that I stick to the time limit, it's dangerous to give a a Baptist preacher and a recovering attorney a mic and expect them to to stay within the confines, but I'm going to exceed expectations and stay on time today. I have a lot to say, so I'm asking that you would pray for me that God would help me just to say that which is necessary and needful and useful for you. But also invite you, if you are from that part of the Christian family that is used to dialogical interaction in the worship experience, then you can feel free. I will not be offended if you say amen. But, but if, in fact, you're not familiar with that, don't, don't exercise yourself. Don't, uh, don't try to do what you're... Don't try to do what you're uncomfortable with. If you can't say amen, just look amen. That will suffice uh, for the hour. Oh, they have a clock back there, I don't have to. So do me one last favor. This is just for me, because I'm gonna put my phone up since I see they have a clock in the back. Can you do me just this one favor? Take out your phone before we hit the text. Take out your phone, and I want you to take uh, some pictures with the people that you're sitting next to and near so that we can post our social media, Restore24. Okay, make sure you get everybody. Okay, now that you've gotten the pictures, unless you're using your Bible app, go ahead and put your phone away or at least put it on silent uh, because we don't want to hear your ringtone uh, while we're preaching. Psalm 89, I'm going to read it in your hearing in its entirety, and I want you to pay attention as we're reading to the gap. That's what I'm dealing with today. Three gaps. This is the first one. And I'm, from my perspective, I'm calling it a longitudinal gap. I want you to pay attention to the difference in tone between verses 1 through 37 and then verses 38 through 52. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. I'll be reading from the ESV. And it reads thusly. I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth, I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I said, steadfast love will be built up forever. In the heavens, you will establish your faithfulness. You have said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness in the assembly of the holy ones, for who, is in the sky, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the council of the holy ones and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you? You rule the raging of the sea when its waves rise. You steal them, you crush Rahab like a carcass, you scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all that is in it, you have founded them. The north and the south, you have created them. Tabor and Herman joyously praise your name. You have a mighty arm. Strong is your hand. High is your right hand. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face, who exult in your name all day and in your righteousness are exalted. For you are the glory of their strength. By your favor, our horn is exalted. For our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Of old, you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I've granted help to one who is mighty. I've exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant, with my holy oil, I have anointed him so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea, his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me. You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever in his thrones, pardon me, in his throne as the days of the heavens. If his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, And I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David if his offspring shall endure forever. His throne As long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. But now you have cut off, cast off and rejected. You are full of wrath against your anointed. You have renounced the covenant with your servant. You have defiled his crown in the dust. You have breached all his walls. You have laid his strongholds in ruins. All who pass by plunder him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. You have also turned back the edge of his sword, and you have not made him stand in battle. You've made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground. You've cut short the days of his youth. You've covered him with shame. How long, O Lord? Will you hide yourself forever? How long, will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is for what vanity you have created all the children of man. What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Lord, where is your steadfast love of old, which by your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults all the many nations with which your enemies mock, O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. David's promise. The gap between promise and fulfillment and how to live in the gap. I'm actually the product of a promise. My mother and father got married in 1956. They tried to have children for six years to no avail, and just as they were about to give up, my father held on to a promise that somehow or another he discerned in prayer. My father being the youngest of 14 children. and the other males in the family not having any male heirs, my father said, Lord, if you just give me a son. After six years of praying and fasting, of course, touching and agreeing, my mother and father conceived and I was born. He had made a promise to God that if you give me a son, then I'll preach. So my father pastored in Various places, but lastly in Kankakee, Illinois, where he pastored for 38 years. There was a gap of six years between an assurance of prayer and a promise fulfilled. But that was part for the course because my father lived in the gap between what he understood God's character and power to promise and what his circumstances seemed to indicate. Uh, I'm K. Edward Copeland. My father is William Henry Copeland, Jr. His father was William Henry Copeland, Sr. His grandfather was William Copeland, who was born in slavery, 1852. My great-grandfather lived to be 110 years old. He was born the year that I died. He, was, he died the year that i born. Just checking to see if you're listening. Wait a minute. He was... He died the year that I was born, born in slavery. So I regularly ate with somebody who regularly ate with somebody who was born in slavery. My grand, great-grandfather, my f- grandfather, and my father lived in the gap of what it means to be and exile in your own country. So when I was born, my father, having heard stories of slavery from his grandfather, having come up with his father in the Jim Crow South, he said, I'm going, my father said, I'm gonna get involved with the civil rights movement because we're gonna take care of all this racism, all this injustice. We're gonna take care of it before my son gets grown. <laughs> I'm grown. Matter of fact, I'm old and grown and we're still living in the gap. But My father never gave up hope in the promises of God that one day every valley would be exalted, every mountain would be brought low, the crooked places would be made straight and all the rough places would be made smooth. I bring all of that to your attention because the truth of the matter is there is a way in which we all are living in the gap between what God has promised and the fulfillment of that promise. We're in a house that doesn't look like the home that we've been promised because there are circumstances that don't seem to line up with what we know about God and what we know about his word. And so can we find in between the house that is our circumstances collectively as a, a world as uh, as strong men all over the world authoritarianism is on the rise as democracy is in a precarious place as there are wars and rumors of wars all around us in these yet to be united states how there's still strife and how There is political polarization, but even more narrowly, in our own lives, as we pray for people who are not yet saved, as we try to claim God's promises for answered prayer as it relates to healing, as it relates to deliverance, can we find, while we're living in this house of brokenness, a haven... Until we get to that home where there is no more sickness, there is no more death, there is no more sorrow, and God himself will wipe every tear from our eyes. How do we live in the gap between what we know about God's character, his power, and his promises, and the fulfillment, the ultimate fulfillment of those promises? Well... This text, I think, speaks to that. If you were paying attention as I was reading, if you've read your Bible, if you've never read your Bible, that's fine. This, the basis, the background, the foundation of this text is a promise that was made to David that is recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 7, around verses 4 through 17, where God promised David. It's a covenant that God made with David That he would have offspring, those offspring, that offspring would rule forever. And if you notice in the first uh, part of this text, you kept hearing the word forever. If you look back in your Bible, even uh, verse 3 and 4, where a literal quote says, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David, my servant, I will establish his offspring forever and build a throne for all generations that was the promise that was the davidic covenant that's the, uh, the framework of the relationship that god initiated with david as recorded in second samuel chapter 4 second samuel chapter 7 4 through 17 now here it's reiterated years later by the psalmist who is reflecting on that and reflecting not only on the promise but the character of god the faithfulness of god that backs up that promise That's what's happening in those uh, first first 14 verses there as he talks about God's faithfulness in verse 5 in the assembly of the holy ones and that nobody can be compared to God. Look at verse 8. He says, who is as mighty as you are? Not just are you faithful, but you got power like nobody else has. Uh, Power that even rules over the most chaotic thing that we can imagine. Look at verse nine. You rule over the raging sea. When its waves rise, you steal them. Sea, particularly in the Old Testament, is emblematic. It's symbolic of chaos, of that which nobody can control. But God in his faithfulness even has power over the most chaotic thing that we can imagine, that heavens are his, he has a strong right, he has a mighty arm and a strong right hand. But verse 14 says, here's the key, this is why we're looking at this uh, text today, it says that righteousness and justice are the the very foundation of your throne. See, and let me uh, pause just to sort of lay the framework of what we'll be dealing with the rest of this talk as well as the other talks, that justice and righteousness are cognate cousins, not just etymologically, but thematically and essentially. And that righteousness and justice are Theocentric concepts, they are rooted in God's heart and rooted in God's word and in his character. They're not, justice is not a sociological construct. It's not a democratic invention. It's not a commodity to meet meted out on a fee basis or administered in a way that color codes human value. It's not a unit of revenge or an ultimate desire for retribution. Justice is what, from a payment level, justice is what people are due in light of the fact that they bear the image of God be it punishment for those who discount that image in others or protection from that discounting by others, justice has as its ultimate goal the pursuit of God's original purpose, plan, and design for humanity and human relations. But here's my point. As we look at it in this text and as we meditate on what it actually means, we see that justice is rooted in the character of God. It's the foundation of his rule, his reign, and it flows from his character. You remember when Moses was encountering God and said, show me your glory back in Exodus, what is that 34 and God preached himself. He proclaimed himself, Exodus 34, I believe verse six and seven. He says, I'm the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and compassionate, merciful and gracious, slow to get angry, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Forgiving sin, transgression, iniquity, keeping mercy for thousands of generations, but by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers, on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Uh, Justice and mercy flow from his very character, the very self-revelation of God. It's not just his character, it's his delight. Jeremiah chapter nine, verse 23 through 24, God says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. What about you, God? That I'm the Lord God who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things, God declares, I delight. Justice is the foundation of his throne. It flows from the very character and nature of God. It's what he takes delight in. And in point of fact, now listen carefully because this is where we start getting into the problem. In the first 14 verses, the focus seems to be on God's character and his promises. and Starting with verse 15 in this text, all the way up through verse 37, you see that particular lie, particular lie. Why can't I speak today? You see that specified (laughs) particular lie, particularized in the life of David and this covenantal relationship that God has with David. uh, You see, how God talks about this godly one that he has chosen, named David according to verse 20, and how uh, verse 24, my faithfulness and steadfast love will be with him, and in my name his horn shall be exalted. If you jump down all the way to verse 35 and 36, he reiterates what has been emphasized already, I've sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne, as long as the sun before me, like the moon, it shall be established forever. Great. That'd be wonderful if the text ended right there, verse 37. But we got verse 38. Verse 38 says, but wait a minute. That's what you promised, but here's what I'm seeing. What I see is destruction all around me. What I see is literally things like the crown in the dust. You see this in verse 39. You have defiled his crown in the dust. Uh, Verse 42, you've exalted the right hand of his foes. Verse 44, you've made his splendor to cease and cast his throne to the ground and you have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with shame. A magnificent promise. But then as the psalmist is writing, this house is broken. I I don't see the promise fulfilled. You said forever, but my circumstances show that something is amiss here. And so the psalmist ends this psalm starting with verse 46 by asking questions. How long, how long are you gonna hide yourself? How long will your wrath burn? Who can deliver his self from the power of death? Where is your steadfast love, God? And how can I bear the mocking of those who taunt me for trusting in your character? Okay, so let's get at it. The bottom line is this. When it comes to living in the gap, we have to learn to trust in the character of the promiser because God always has something better in mind than what we can conceive. Let me say it a different way. We can trust him to do more than we understand because he's better than we imagine where are we getting this as you look at this text and as you think about it I want you to understand that this text reads differently here in Lancaster I say that right Okay. than it would in Ukraine because in Ukraine those last questions that I read hit differently they hit differently in Palestine right now and not just Ukraine and Palestine but in South Sudan in the Democratic Republic of Congo in the places where CNN MSNBC and Fox don't necessarily cover as much This text is hidden differently because people are literally living in the gap between their circumstances and what they know about God's power, character, and proclivities toward his people. See, what is academic and theoretical to us is existentially crucial to those who live with their back against the wall. And what we discern from this text is that you are not going to necessarily live your best life now because this is a house. Our circumstances as a, are, are a house, but we got a home. And while we're waiting to get home, we don't ignore the circumstances of the house. We don't try to explain away the promises of God, but we learn how to live in the gap by trusting that he has something better in mind than what we can conceive. How do I get that? Well, let me jump very quickly to point out that whenever the Bible asks questions, you ought to pay attention. Let me give a practical application just up front. I'll hit this again a little bit later. And that is this, that authentic relationship invites questions. So you'll notice the psalmist, as he is questioning, he says, how long, oh God, will it be like this? He asks, who can deliver Us from death. He asks, where is your mercy? Where is your faithfulness to David? Well, the psalmist had to die living in the gap with some unanswered questions. My father passed away September 11th last year with a whole lot of unanswered questions. He said, when I was born, I'm tired of singing, We Shall Overcome, so I'm going to get out here and march. He marched with Dr. King. He did a whole lot of stuff in his community around the issues of justice. But he had to die with that tension that there's something that I believe God can do and that he's promised to do that I don't see yet. And we have to learn that it's all right to have questions. It's all right to say how long. It's all right if you're in authentic relationship with God. It's all right to express your true emotions and say to God, I don't understand how this house can become a home. I don't understand why you're taking so long. I don't understand why I'm seeing the things I'm seeing when I know that you have the power. And as a point of fact, I got scripture that says you promised some things you gotta stop shying away from the tension of real life. Because this is real life right here where justice seems to be delayed, where righteousness seems to be on the back burner, where God's faithfulness is very often called into question by those who would mock those of us who trust in it. The reality is in the gap with authentic relationships always invite questions, with here's the bottom line and here's why this text is so important. God did not hide himself forever, verse 46, because in the fullness of time, God found a way to reveal himself. The question in verse 48 is, What man can live and never see death? Who can deliver his soul from death? The answer is that the son of David, the one whose throne is established in justice and righteousness, did reveal himself even though There was nothing in him that would cause people to be attracted to him, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All of us like sheep had gone astray, but the Lord had laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who? This greater David. This one who broke the bounds of expectation. The one who will rule forever and ever. He is the only one that can answer the question, what man can live and never die? Because he once was dead, but now he lives forever because he took the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Where is your steadfast love? I know where it is. It's a hill called Calvary where someone... Gave up their life for the joy that was set before them, despising the shame. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. It was there where justice and mercy met, where God fulfilled His promise in a way that David and the psalmist could have never anticipated, never expected. Because in the person of Christ, you remember those last few verses, it talked about this anointed one who would be mocked. You see this? This is in verse 50 as well as verse 51. How your servants are mocked. I bear the insults of many nations. Uh, The enemies mock, they mock the footsteps of the anointed in a greater way than the psalmist could have ever anticipated. Because here's all my point. You can trust in God to do more than what you understand because he's better than you imagine. It, the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. And because of who he is, we have a more profound reason to trust in God's character than even the psalmist. Now, think about how the Psalm is framed, right? Those first 37 verses talk about the faithfulness of God and then he goes into the questions, but how does he end? Look at verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. And somebody ought to say amen. That's what he said. Blessed be the Lord forever. Why? Because despite the circumstances of this house, I know I got a home and I'm living in the haven of his care. <laughs> That's how that works. And so, It's with that hope that we can live in the gap. I told you my father died September 11th last year. What I didn't tell you is that he died about 9.30 in the evening. His caregiver, a young man named Aaron, was preparing him for for bed. My father suffered from dementia, uh, Alzheimer's. And at 90 years old, he didn't have the same... Gate didn't have the same strength. The caregiver, as he was uh, taking him uh, from the bathroom as he finished his grooming, getting ready to take him back to the bed, my father said to him, God is going to heal the land. And the caregiver said, what you say, dad? He said, God is going to heal the land. And in that instant, he slipped into glory without a grunt, without a sigh, with no indication other than a twinkling of an eye his last sermon was god is going to heal the land why because if you learn how to live in the gap well even with your dying breath you can trust in the character of the one who can do more than you understand because he's better than you imagine And his justice one day will prevail. Righteousness will reign because it flows from his very character. And since he's sovereign over earth and sky, he's also sovereign over time and eternity. And one day we'll see him as he is. Right on time. I told (laughs) y'all. Now, let me debrief for a second um, what I just did uh, for your uh, part of what I want to do in our time today is not just give you the truth of God's word, but sort of equip you to sort of think through how I did it so you can put it in your utility belt. Uh, you understand what I mean when I say utility. Batman doesn't have any superpowers. He just got a good utility belt, right? <laughs> So you don't have to have any superpowers. Just make sure you got a good utility belt. So for those of you who are discipling, this was a long passage of scripture, right? Psalm, what, 52 verses? So what did I do? I read all of the verses, but you notice I didn't go verse by verse. I didn't even really, to a certain extent, necessarily highlight the stanzas. What I did is after I read it, I went back through, Sort of the key areas, the key inflection points, right? I I went back through the story. This works not just for like long psalms, this also works for like long narrative passages. If you're trying to help somebody understand them, read it. Go back through the story and tell it sort of with the main pillars in mind, or even help to foreshadow it. What do I do before I read the scripture? I said, pay attention to how it shifts between verse 37 and 38, right? You can do that with the people that you're discipling. Show them how the Bible is working. Don't get caught up in the side eddies and all the details to the extent that you miss the point. So what I did is I went back through the story and then I told you what the point was and then I talked about some applications. So that's a good way when you have long passages of scripture or passages of Scripture that have a lot of details in them where you would be tempted to go off. Some of us are just like uh, dogs. You know how a dog will see a squirrel and then just run after it? Uh, That's great in your personal Bible study, you know, when you, uh, you Bible nerds are just nerding out. That's great. But when you're trying to help somebody understand the Scripture, and it's a long passage, go through the story, but stick with the point and then help them see the applications. Applications like, God invites questions. He he has no problems with questions because authentic relationship requires questions so that clarity can be provided. We also pointed out this idea of the reality of living in tension. That very often we don't want to deal with the tensions of life, but life is full of tensions you got to learn how to live in that gap but ultimately you show how christ is the ultimate fulfillment of every part of scripture all the scripture is prophesying and pointing toward him that's enough of that we'll have time for questions later is that correct okay i hope that you've been edified by that first little run we'll take another run at it in just a few